Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Have you ever walked on water that is not frozen? As human beings, we are subject to the laws of nature. But Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, created nature. Therefore, Jesus is not subject to the laws of Mother Nature. She is subject to him. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 6 and look at this incredible display and power of Jesus as he walks on the water to assist his disciples. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. Excuse me. It's a Monday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all are just rocking in Jesus, just spending time with Jesus. I say it, we say it over and over and over. There is literally in our lives, in the lifetime of humanity on this earth, there is nothing more profitable. There is nothing more beneficial than spending time with Jesus Christ. As we spend time with Jesus Christ, as we grow to know Jesus, and only in Jesus, we grow to know our Heavenly Father. We grow to know God the Father. We grow in our relationship and intimacy with our Father only as we grow to know and walk with Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Jesus, we grow to know God the Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ, we come into relationship and community and unity with every member of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the meaning of life, the reason we were created is for growing relationship and growing intimacy with the triune God. How do, how do we do that? We spend time in the scriptures and the living word of God. That's why we do what we do here is it helps us to walk with Jesus, to walk with our heavenly father. In order to do that successfully, we're going to have to, to follow Jesus. We're going to have to obey him. We're going to have to model our lives after his. That's what a disciple is, right, Peyton? A disciple of so, is someone who's an apprentice of Jesus, they're living a disciplined life, trying to model every aspect of their life, Melanie, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, after Jesus Christ. We're trying to emulate Jesus in everything we do. We want to be more like Jesus. And again, to do that, we need to obey him. We need to do what he says in the scriptures, and we need to repent where we're not doing that. And certainly there's room in all of us to do that, right? There's room in all of us to repent where we're not walking with Jesus in a manner that we, we ought and to increasingly uh, obey him. And the more we do that, the more we'll grow to know him. It's important we understand this has nothing to do with our salvation. It has nothing to do with the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. That comes solely and entirely by trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus Christ as our only hope, as our only Lord and Savior, okay? Going to heaven, becoming a Christian, having our sins forgiven, coming into relationship with the triune God, that happens solely by what Christ has done 
on our behalf and in our place at the cross, right? And all validated and we're assured of it by his resurrection from the dead. We serve a risen Christ. We love a risen Jesus. And it's a risen Jesus that loves us and gave his life for us. God, the son, the son of God entered the world because he loved you and me so much lived the perfect life that we couldn't live on our behalf, died a perfect death that we couldn't have died on our behalf. See, we should have died. It was appropriate for us to die. We deserve death in eternal damnation in hell. Our death wouldn't have accomplished anything except sending us to hell where, where we belong. But the death that Jesus died on the cross a sinless death that he died, he died in our place. And it has the power to, 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 to credit us. The, the death of Christ is the, is the just punishment that we should have paid, except we would have gone to hell for all eternity. Jesus went and conquered hell. He was victorious over hell, victorious over the grave. And so... There's nothing in our lives that's that 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 means more than this. And so we talk about it all the time and we keep saying it over and over and over. Right, sweetheart? That's my wife, May. She made me this beautiful this drink. And I got to say that this drink, this uh, whatever kind of health drink this is, has improved. I mean, uh, I don't even know. Uh a thousand percent. It went from being the worst tasting thing ever to now it's just wonderful because of our wonderful sister in Christ, in Christ, Lynette, um, who, who came over and blessed us and showed my wife how to, uh, how to make this drink. So thank you so much, Miss Lynette. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. Actually, it is good. All right. Today, we're continuing in John 6. I was wrong about the teachings. I think Stephen informed me that this is going to be the 32nd teaching in John now. Um, and so we've gone through the first five chapters, verse by verse by verse. Today, we're in chapter 6, and we're going to be covering only five verses, 16 to 21. And it's a uh, very, very famous verses of when Jesus walks on water, when he meets his disciples in the middle of the lake and walks on water. So it's John 6, verses 16 to 21. But before we go there, there's an important principle when we're studying the scriptures. This account of Jesus walking on the water, it appears not only in John, it appears in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52, and it also appears in Matthew chapter 14, and that's verses 22 to 33. So the reason that's important is it's the exact account where John, Matthew, and Mark are recording this account of Jesus walking on the water and each account gives us different insights. So when you study the scripture, now today we're just going to teach through John, but we will mention some things that are in, in Matthew and in Mark, because they open up parts of the story to us. 
it's interesting to see how the different authors led by the Holy Spirit find different aspects of the account bigger priorities. And so, again, you can, you can study this account of Jesus walking on the water in John 6, Matthew 14, and in Mark 6. So we're going to go ahead and pray, and we will read the scripture in John, and we'll get rolling. So, Father, we do thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you for the living word of God, Father. We thank you for the holy scriptures. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your favor and your goodness on our lives. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you. We thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you, Jesus, for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for being punished in our place and dying in our place, and we we thank you that you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus. We just we worship you, our only King. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear as we open the Holy Scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John 6, 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In, uh, in Matthew 14, it starts in verse 21, right? Now, if you notice in John 6, 16, it said, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. But in Matthew, in verse 22, it says, uh, Matthew 14, 22, you'll see it on your screen. Um, obviously, if you're watching on YouTube, it says, Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And... In Mark 6, verse 45, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And so the reason that's important is because we see in John 6, 16 and 17, it says the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat you know, to cross over the lake uh, for Capernaum. But in Matthew and in Mark, it says that Jesus made them do it. So the, that's so important because if we don't cross-reference that, obviously, if we only read John, we come to this account and, you know, the disciples are just 
you know, they don't see Jesus because it says in verse 17, Jesus has not yet joined them. And, you know, they just decide, you know, well, let's go, let's go over to the other side to Capernaum. But when you cross-reference it to the other gospels, we learn that Jesus compelled them to get into a boat. It, it's interesting. It says he made them. Obviously, he didn't physically force them to get into the boat, but he ordered them to go into the boat and cross to the other side. And as we read in, in Mark, it said that, uh, it said about after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So Jesus intentionally tells them, orders them to get in the boat, then intentionally leaves them. Okay. So he tells them to get into the boat. He tells them to go to, you know, goes to the other side. And yet he leaves them and goes up on a mountainside to pray. It says in, in John 6, verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. It says in Matthew, but, but the boat was already, when evening came, he was there alone. This is Matthew 14, 24. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now you see where it says that the boat was a considerable distance from land. And in John, we find the exact distance. Because in verse 19 of John 6, it says, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus. Hopefully you're seeing by now, do you see how we're puzzling it back and forth? Do you see the, the immense benefit of moving back and forth throughout the three different accounts? The account that John writes us, the account that Matthew writes us, and the account that Mark writes us, because we're finding details that we otherwise wouldn't have had. We've noticed in, in John's gospel that he is fairly detail-oriented, right? Where, where Matthew just thought it was important to say, yeah, I mean, it was a long way already, considerable distance. And yeah, three, three and a half miles is a considerable distance to be across a lake, right? Again, I'm not, I haven't by any means uh, spent a lot of time rowing boats, but to row three to three and a half miles, you know, I don't know how long that would take, maybe one to two hours, right? But apparently, you know, they're rowing against a very strong wind. And we're going to find based on the scripture accounts that they've probably been rowing for six to eight hours before Jesus gets to them. Because again, verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Now, we didn't talk about why Jesus makes the disciples. Again, it doesn't say here. You remember, in, uh, and again, this is just how we keep puzzling the accounts together. Um, in John, it says, in verse 15, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So we talked about how the crowd saw the miraculous sign that he did in feeding the, the 5,000 men, maybe 20,000 people. And 
they wanted to make him king by force. The crowd wanted to make him king by force so that they could use Jesus for their own ends. And Jesus wasn't going to allow that. But we talked about how even the disciples could have been caught up in that euphoria. So it's, it's very possible that Jesus, you know, pulls his disciples away from the crowd, tells them, I want you to get in a boat and I want you to, to, to cross over to Capernaum because he does not want them getting influenced by the crowd because this is not the plan. Jesus was, was not there to be a deliverer of the people of Israel from the hands of Rome, right? Israel was under Roman occupation and the, the crowd clearly wanted Jesus to be, uh, you know, a physical deliverer, right? Some great king. They saw the miraculous powers he was using and the crowd wanted Jesus to use that, um, you know, to give Israel back their great glory in the natural realm. Jesus wasn't, wasn't there to be a physical deliverer. He was there to be a spiritual deliverer, right? He was there for spiritual deliverance. He was there for, to bring spiritual life and healing and the forgiveness of sins. So because of that, you know, Jesus as, you know, did not allow himself to be taken as king. He did not allow the crowd to go in and, you know, install him as king because that wasn't his purpose. But again, very probably he doesn't want the disciples to be influenced by this crowd. And, and perhaps they were already, you know, starting to think, man, this would be a good idea. Man, man, maybe we can get Jesus to be to be king and then, you know, everything will be great for us. So interestingly, uh, Mark and Matthew tell us that Jesus orders them to, to get into the boat. And it says in verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. There can be little doubt that Jesus intentionally puts them in this situation. And then that Jesus withdraws himself from there. And, you know, sometimes I was, uh, I was talking to a brother of mine about this. Sometimes wouldn't it be nice just to have smooth sailing for a while in life? Don't we enjoy smooth sailing? Wouldn't it be nice just to be just to get into the boat and have a beautiful night of just crossing over the lake, whatever it is, you know, six, seven miles, and just get across there without any issues? But doesn't it seem like we are consistently put in this place where a strong wind is blowing against us and the waters are rough? Doesn't it seem like life is consistently filled with a strong wind blowing against us? And what we have to what we have to deal with, what we have to understand is that that either Jesus causes these difficulties or he allows the difficulties. And either way, that means at least it has his passive approval of, as Jerry Bridges said. Uh, Jerry Bridges is a very, very prominent author. I would recommend all of his books. Um, but he makes the point that obviously the triune God are all-knowing, all-powerful. So if you and I are in a situation, we're either in the situation according to his will or the fact that he's allowing it, which means either way it has at least his passive approval. Because if he doesn't cause it himself, 
which it looks here like Jesus very possibly causes this problem. Either way, he allows it. So let's say Jesus didn't allow, didn't cause this strong wind to blow. Let's say Jesus didn't cause the waters to grow rough so that the disciples are having to row six to eight hours against the wind and they're, they're barely halfway across. If he didn't cause it, he certainly knew it was going to happen. And he could have stopped it, as we, we're going to see he does. Um, so that means it has at least his passive approval, because if he doesn't cause it, he allows it. And if he allows it, he could stop it. So it's just a situation we are just, uh, it seems like we are consistently in and out of choppy waters, right? A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. In Mark, it says, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. This is Mark 6, verse 47. Verse 48, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. So uh, the fourth watch could be anywhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., scholars say. So he goes out to them. He's walking on the lake. And Mark records for us, again, look at this detail Mark records that we don't have in John. It says in Mark, he was about to pass by them. So in John, it says in verse 19, chapter 6, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But Mark writes that not only did it approach it, did he approach them, but he was he made as if he was just going to walk right by. In verse 49, it says, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. Now, it doesn't say this in John. So, again, you see how I'm going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. We're studying the three accounts. Now, many of the, it's interesting, the reason we've chosen to do this, or I've chosen to do this on this one, is John only gives six verses to this whole thing, to where... Matthew gives a much more in-depth account. He goes Matthew 14, 22 to 33, which is what, 12 verses? So Matthew accounts twice as many verses to this account. Um, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, and again, from the time that we can tell that Jesus had them get into the boat up until when Jesus walks out to him, it's said that, that it could be between six and eight hours they were rowing, which normally could have been between one and two hours of rowing. And again, so you just see them having the strain, you see them being frustrated, you see that the wind is against them. And that really is a picture oftentimes of the life that Jesus calls us to live as Christians. And it's it's not fun. It's It's something he allows us to go through because it builds our faith. Verse 19, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. 
and they were terrified. Now, <clears throat> several of these men were professional fishermen. I've never seen someone walk on water. I've seen someone walk on water when it was frozen, right? If you've, if you've ever been to a very cold place in the world and, you know, or ever been ice fishing, you know, you can, you can walk out on a lake when it's frozen. That would not be a surprise. But to see someone walk on water that's not frozen, like my wife said, like May said, it's against nature. It's not something they have ever seen. It's not something that their minds could even conceive. And so as Mark tells us, they thought it was a ghost. I believe it says it in Matthew as well. Um, they could not conceive a human man, again, just walking on the water. Try to get a picture of that in your mind of, you know, you being in a boat and just wa watching a, a, a man just walk on top of the water. It's, it's inconceivable. And it says they were terrified. And it's interesting because it's not, uh, I don't think they're terrified because they think they're going to be harmed. They're terrified because it's, it's something that's so beyond human comprehension. Make sense? They are terrified because walking on water is inconceivable. It's against nature. It's against Mother Nature, as my wife said. But apparently it's, it's not against nature for Jesus. What's the difference? Why the difference? What's, uh, why is it that Jesus can go against nature, but the disciples and you and I for us, it's inconceivable, right? We can't even think of it. We can't do it. And the answer is clear. Mother Nature, as she's been called, is named Mother Nature because she's our mother, metaphorically, right? There is nothing we can do to stop her. With all the technology we have in the world today in 2021, there is literally nothing we can do to stop Mother Nature. All we have is technology that can detect her. We have technology that can detect a tornado, detect a hurricane, detect these massive category number storms. Matthew, one, two, three, four, five, right? And there's literally nothing we can do to stop her. All we can do is run from her. Because metaphorically, she is our mother, mother nature. But Jesus, she is not Jesus's mother. Because Jesus created nature, or what we may call mother nature, metaphorically. So although mother nature is our mama, Jesus is her daddy. So we consistently see Jesus overriding Mother Nature. You remember when he was in the boat and with the disciples and he was in a massive hurricane and the, and the disciples think they're going to perish and drown and, 
And they tell Jesus, don't you care that we drown? He gets up, says three words, quiet, be still. And Mother Nature has to relent. And the entire storm ends immediately. At the word of Jesus. When Jesus speaks, it's the word of God. So, Jesus is Mother Nature's daddy. He created her, therefore she has to submit to him. And we see it again here with Jesus walking on the water. Verse 20, it says they were terrified, verse 19, verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. So Jesus walks on the water, three or three and a half miles, all the way to them, clearly intentionally and intentionally allowing them to, to go through this, this time, this frustration, this fear, so that he can he can bless them, so that he can, so that they have the opportunity to continue to grow to know him. Now what's interesting is in the in the story, in the other story, Jesus is sleeping in the boat with them. And they have his presence and they wake him up and they say, don't you care that we're going to perish or die? Here, they're, they're, they're in very difficult waters. So bad that it's taken them six to eight hours to row three and a three and a half, uh, three, three and a half miles. But Jesus was not with them. And so they're having to trust in Jesus in a similar way that you and I do without his direct physical presence. But even so, Jesus goes out to them in a unique way, right? Because remember, there's a storm going on. It's extremely strong winds. It's a, uh, the waters are very rough. And yet you see Jesus just cool as can be. You know, it's one thing if Jesus is just walking on, uh, you know, walking on, you know, very placid water, right? Water that's not moving at all, water that's perfectly still. But these are massive waves going up and down and Jesus is just walking on it like there's no problem. We don't really understand who we're dealing with. We don't. These are not common things, obviously. These things are overwhelming. They are, they are uncommon beyond reason. It's, uh, again, th there's, there's a storm going on so that professional fishermen who have spent their lives on the lake rowing and fishing and being on the lake takes them six to eight hours and they can barely, they, they can't even get four miles. And yet Jesus comes just walking Right to him. Completely unimpeded, right? Just not hindered in any manner or in any way. Do you see who we're dealing with here? You're dealing with God. Full-blown, almighty God. Who is not subject to nature. And again, think about how kind of a big statement that is. All of us today are subject to to nature, or as we've called her, Mother Nature. And when she rages, all we can do is run, right, Matthew? Matthew and Noah are all, they're, they're kind of excited and about the, um, 
they just get excited and uh, an interest. Noah's a weatherman. They have an interest in the weather and the power of it all and, and just the scope of it and how it all works. And, you know, they, they're, they're excited to, to follow these hurricanes and see how they work and how they can go from, you know, all the different storms to different categories. And I guess it goes up to category five. Excuse me. Jesus isn't subject to none of that. As the categories go up, they start evacuating entire areas, right, guys? But Jesus don't evacuate. Jesus could just say, be quiet, and it'll end. Or Jesus can let it go, and he'll just walk right out on the ocean. You never did that, did you, Noah? Huh. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Matthew's account, we have... Matthew adds to the story what John does not add. From there, John says, when Jesus said, don't be afraid, we realize from, uh, from Matthew and Mark that they, they, uh, they thought they saw a ghost. John doesn't tell us that, but that's why they were, they were terrified. John tells us in verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Okay, so they were afraid of a ghost. And then in verse 21, John says, then they were willing to take him into the boat, which is as interesting. And John says, then they were willing to take him into the boat. In, in Matthew's account, we have this extra piece that Matthew includes where Peter says in verse uh, Matthew 14, 28, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you. Jesus says, come and then Peter steps out to the boat. He walks on the water. But then when he sees all the problems and all the storm and it starts to scare him, he takes his eyes off Jesus, which is easy for us to do. And he begins to, to, uh, to sink. And, uh, you know, Peter cries out for Jesus to save him. Jesus reaches down in verse 21 and catches Peter and says, you have little faith. Um, then in verse 32, we learn in the Matthew account, it says, and when they climbed into a boat, the wind died down. Verse 33, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Truly you are the son of God. Now again, we don't have this in Matthew, but, um, I'm sorry, we don't have this in John, um, but so do you, again, see how we're puzzling it all together to get a full picture of what's happening here. But what John says, it says, then they were willing to take him into the boat. And that's a big word. Once again, we see this aspect of choice, that we do have a choice if we want to receive Jesus into the boat. If you want to receive Jesus into your situation, if you want to receive Jesus into your difficulty, are you willing today to receive Jesus? If you haven't received him as your Lord and Savior, are you willing? The Bible is clear. And Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible is clear that all human beings are sinful and we can do nothing without him. Romans 3, 23 says that all human beings are sinful and fall short of, uh, of God's holy standard. Are you trusting and relying on Jesus Christ today? Are you willing to receive him into your heart?
as the Lord of your life for the forgiveness of your sins. The scripture is clear. He is our only hope. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We are desperate. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Are you willing? Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And if you are a Christian today and you're, you, you have a trial or a difficulty, have you asked Jesus to come into it? Are you consistently petitioning Jesus to be a part of it? There can be nothing of greater value than having Jesus in the boat of our lives for our salvation. And obviously there can be nothing of greater value than having Jesus in every situation that we encounter. You want him in your boat. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And look what John says. This is, uh, this is pretty interesting how John, how John writes this. Um, in Matthew, it says, and they climbed in the boat and the wind died down. And in verse 34, it said they had crossed over. In Mark, it says, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. And then it says when they crossed over. So if we don't have John, it appears that Jesus gets into the boat. And when Jesus gets into the boat, it's clear the wind dies down. Now that's not in John. But once again, all the storm ends when Jesus climbs into the boat. They were completely frustrated. It took them six to eight hours to, to, to row three, three and a half miles before Jesus got there. Jesus gets in the boat. And all of a sudden it's calm. The storms die down again because Jesus is at the center of it. And the more faith we have, the more we keep our eyes on Jesus, y'all, the, the, the better off we'll be, the infinitely better off we'll be in the middle of our storms and difficulties in life. But look what John says, and we'll end here. Verse 21, they were willing, then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. What does that mean? Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That's John 6, 21. So that can only mean two things, right? Again, my, my lovely wife May pointed out that if you recall, I believe it's in Acts 8, where Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch. He leads them to Christ. The, uh, Philip baptizes him. And immediately Philip blinks out. He's immediately removed. You'll see again the scripture there at the bottom um, where he immediately disappears. So there is a possibility. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were going. That is a possibility. What's more probable is that that once Jesus entered the boat, the wind died down, and with no rowing, with no help, the boat of itself, Jesus just willed the boat to go all the rest of the way to the other side of the lake for Capernaum. So can you, can you picture that meaning the disciples don't have to row, there is no wind, they don't touch the boat, and Jesus just wills the boat just to do a, a, a straight beeline all the way to the other side of the lake. I'm thinking that's more probable based again on what the others, 
you know, the other gospels both, both say in Mark and Matthew when they had crossed over. Um, so again, possibility, it could have been that just the boat was immediately just displaced there. As my wife pointed out with Philip and Acts eight, I believe it's Acts eight. Um, but again, probably what happens, so you can just picture Jesus getting into the boat, all the wind dying down. The disciples had rowed already, whatever we said, six to eight hours to go, not even four miles. They've been frustrated. They've been exhausted. And so all of a sudden, the boat just starts moving and just starts cutting through that water all the way to the, all the, way to the other side, and they're not having to do anything. They're just sitting in the boat. And Jesus is willing it all the way to the other side. Anyway, that was something a little different. You see how we jumped around and it was kind of cool because, you know, we, we see the story in John. We see the story in Matthew 14. We see the story in Mark 6, John 6. And you see how we just puzzled it all in there and we put the puzzle pieces. You see what I mean? It's exciting. When you puzzle up the word of God, Nathan, when you just when you piece it all together, Kristen, Lauren, we just got to keep studying the scriptures and putting in the other pieces and we, and it just makes the picture that much more vivid, right? We get a deeper understanding and we can see that the Holy Spirit has led these men, you know, and, and you know, that, that the different writers are convicted to write different things. And that's how it would be for us. If it was, if all of us were there, right? Now, Mark wasn't there. John and Matthew would have been there, but Mark would have got his from, a, you know, going around and talking to all the disciples and different people um, that were there as far as the gospel. But remember, the, these guys wrote this. John's writing his gospel some, golly, could be 50 years later. And so he's writing what, what he believes to be pivotal and important. Matthew writes what he believes to be pivotal and important. It's only Matthew that tells us what happens with Peter, which is pretty interesting, right? That Peter literally steps out of the boat in faith and wants to come to Jesus. He's zealous to come to Jesus and walk on the water. Jesus says, come. And Peter actually does it for a while, walks on the water. But then the problems and the storms grab his attention and he begins to sink and Certainly, that's a good word for us when the problems and storms in our life hit. So, Father, we thank you for this word of God. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We, we thank you, Father, for our Bible. We thank you that we have this incredible Bible, Lord. We thank you that we have this account that's been put together, Lord, and all the care that's gone into it, Lord, as we've talked about, Lord, and uh, just the incredible process, Lord, that went into this, the the, the, how the Bible has been preserved for us, Lord, the incredible production and how it's been put together, Lord. And, and uh, Lord, we just, we thank you for the incredible prophecies in the Bible. And we thank you for the testimony, the personal testimony of the scriptures. Father, we just thank you for this living word of God. Father, we do ask you to help us and to guide us and to draw us unto you. Lord Jesus, we ask you to draw us unto you particularly in the storms of life. At all times, Lord, we want to worship you. But as we deal with storms and difficulties and hardships, Lord, we just ask you to, to help us to come to you, Lord Jesus, 
to bring you into the situation, Lord, and to keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus, and not on the problems and not on the trials, Lord. Help us to look for you and not to be afraid, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you and praise you. We ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. We ask you to lead us and give us eyes to see as we go forward and ears to hear. Father, we worship you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.